Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Jordan, my, sorry, my, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Memorial's Presbyterian Church. My name's not Jordan, but Jordan had a really good joke this morning. Um, Jordan said that preaching on Easter Sunday last week is the church equivalent to like singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. And that preaching the week after Easter is like singing the national anthem at the 12 and under quarterfinals of flag football, um, which kind of feels like that. Was it t-ball? Was it flag football? Whatever it was. Um, the week after Easter, pastors like to call a low Sunday, which is terrible, right? It's the, the week after Easter ought to be like a growing excitement, a growing energy, but we often feel sort of this lull. So I'm going to ask you to be here with me because... I can't preach through a lull. We gotta have a little bit of energy. Can you be with me on that? Yes, thanks. All right, um, we're gonna talk about Peter tonight um, and uh, a crucial moment in Peter's story. I've titled this sermon, A Surpassing Measure of Redemption. A Surpassing Measure of Redemption. The Apostle Peter is the one whose devotion to Jesus turns out to be unwavering in the story of the early church. Peter preaches the gospel. He lives a life of witness for Jesus, and that life of witness eventually gets him crucified, according to church tradition. But church tradition tells us that Peter's reverence for Jesus is so great that he refuses to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was crucified. If we remember back to John the Baptist, John the Baptist, remember, says something like he's unworthy to even untie Jesus' sandals. But Peter takes this a step further. He says, I'm unworthy even to die the way Jesus died. In many ways, the end of Peter's story is how we hope maybe our story would end in wholehearted worship and devotion to Jesus. But that's not where Peter's story with Jesus begins. So there are two points tonight that I want us to think about as we talk about Peter's story. First of all, Peter needs redemption. And we too need redemption. Peter needs redemption. And what Jesus offers is a surpassing measure of redemption. Um, 
Can you remember all the way back to the very first Marvel movie that was introduced into our lives? There's like, there are these moments in life that are pre this and, and post that. Like the first Marvel movie, our lives will never be the same because now I've got like 112 of them and there are 14 TV spinoffs. Is anyone up to date with Falcon and Winter Soldier? Okay, got at least a couple of my nerd friends in the back. Appreciate it. Um, you remember at the end of the first Marvel movie, which is the first Iron Man, there's this scene after the credits, right, which shows Thor's hammer, and that's it. It's just like a glimpse of Thor's hammer, and it's a like, little hint at what the next movie's going to be. And now we all sit, well, when we're able to go to movie theaters, we sit at the movie theater for like 12 minutes after the movie ends in order to figure out if this movie is also going to have a post credit scene. Us nerds call this a stinger. All right. The original stinger is in John's gospel. If you go back and read the end of John chapter 20, John closes the gospel out at the end of John 20. He says, Jesus did a whole lot of other things that I didn't write down. These things I did write down so that you would believe and so that you would have eternal life. That's the end of the gospel. Except there's John 21. Because I don't know if John forgot about Peter or John was like, I'm leaving Peter's story and the resolution of that story till the end or what. But John 21 is like, wait a second, what happened to Peter? It's like the original stinger. And the introduction of this episode with Peter, Peter's final story of the Gospels, gives me the distinct impression that he and the other disciples are still at a loss as to what they're supposed to be doing. The beginning of John 21 says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. See, this episode happens sometime after the resurrection. The story just before this, which is the one with Thomas, the one we call doubting, but maybe he's just looking for a little something extra from Jesus. But the story with Thomas happens a week after the resurrection. And this story in John 21 is even further on from that. And Jesus has already appeared to his disciples twice after the resurrection. But as the disciples are sitting around, now they're back in Galilee, they still don't quite know what to do. And Peter does something that we are so prone to doing ourselves. When we're dejected, when we're discouraged, when we're unsure of ourselves, when we're not feeling very hopeful, not feeling very faithful, what do we do? We go back to our old lives from before we met Jesus. This is what Peter does. He thinks to himself, I've got no idea what I'm supposed to be doing now. The life I thought I was going to live, this life of a disciple, this life of a follower of Jesus, that life is gone. Jesus is gone. My purpose is gone. What am I supposed to do? Well, I still know how to fish. So he says to his fellow disciples, I'm going fishing. And almost as if the other disciples are so relieved that someone has mentioned anything other than sitting around wondering what to do, they jump at the chance to go with him. We'll go with you. We don't know what else to do, but we know how to fish, so let's fish. 
they are already showing signs of abandoning the purpose that Jesus had given them whenever he called them to follow him. Jesus told them they would no longer be fishermen. But just like us, when they're at a loss, they go right back to that old life. And just to let the symbolism play out a little further, we find that they now fail at fishing. That night they caught nothing, the text tells us. But early the next morning, Jesus is standing on the shore. And he calls to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Jesus is like squeezing lemon juice on a paper cut. Of course they haven't caught any fish. They're still out on the water and it's already morning. The disciples, see in this story, I think they're dejected. They're depressed. But they also seem defeated. They seem defeated even in the way they're approaching their fishing. They fished most of the night and not caught anything. As day breaks... They know the good fishing time is over. But they see a man standing on the beach who tells them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. Why are they taking fishing advice from the guy standing on the shore? I get the sense that they are so dejected. They're so defeated. They'll try anything to get just a a glimmer of that joy and abundance they felt when they were walking with Jesus. And this is us. How often do we feel so dejected and defeated that we'll try anything to get a little bit of peace or a little bit of joy or a little bit of happiness? Maybe if I start exercising, I'll feel better. Maybe if I eat healthier, I'll feel better. Maybe if I declutter my house, I'll feel better. Maybe if I declutter my mind, I'll feel better. All of these are good things, but none of these things are going to fill the emptiness in our life that only Jesus fills. C.S. Lewis called it a longing for we know not what, a deep longing and we're not sure what's supposed to fill it because we need redemption. We need restoration. So, what the heck? Let's throw the nets on the other side of the boat. See what happens. Then the miracle happens. In this story, it's the reminder that Jesus is the miracle worker that brings recognition for the disciples. They don't know it's Jesus until they're reminded that Jesus is the miracle worker. And it causes them to exclaim, it is the Lord. And then Peter's response to recognizing Jesus is remarkably similar to the time that he saw Jesus walking on the water toward their boat on the Sea of Galilee. Just like in that storm, when Peter realizes it's Jesus, he gets out of the boat as fast as he can. It's almost a physical gesture of leaving that old fishing life again and swimming as hard as he can toward what Jesus is offering. Peter needs redemption. And he knows the only person who can give it to him is Jesus. 
as soon as we realize that we need redemption. Because we, like Peter, have denied Jesus. As soon as we recognize that the fulfillment that's lacking in our lives, the satisfaction that keeps slipping through our fingers time and time again, the truth we've been searching for, the life we've always wanted, as soon as we recognize that these things are found in Jesus, we ought to be diving out of the boat just like Peter did. And then when they all reach the shore, Peter's now soaking wet. The disciples are struggling with the massive catch of fish. By the way, they threw the nets on the other side of the boat. There's a massive, miraculous catch of fish. And they get to the shore and Jesus has already got the breakfast fire going. See, this whole episode is leading up to the exchange between Jesus and Peter that we're about to read that I read a little bit earlier. But before we can get there, Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples. He washes their feet like a servant when he should have been the guest of honor at the table. And he makes breakfast as the host of this seaside table, even when he could have let them come ashore and serve him. And that brings us to verses 15 to 17. After they finish eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. I wonder those of you who have ever had a fight with a loved one, maybe a spouse or a child or a best friend, anyone who's gone through divorce or those of you who have experienced the loss of a loved one, a loved one who's passed away, you understand that the last words that you say to a person can ring in your ears over and over again, haunting you sometimes, especially when they're words that are said out of anger or pride or rejection. Every argument I've ever had with my wife, Brittany, every time I've ever spoken harshly to one of my kids, the last thing I say echoes in my mind over and over until there is some restoration, until there's some forgiveness, some repair in that relationship. This is what is happening to Peter. I think this is the reason that even after Jesus has already appeared to the disciples twice after the resurrection, Peter's still lost. His words of betrayal have not been addressed. The echo of three denials still rings in Peter's ears. In fact, I imagine that for Peter, anything that comes in a set of three makes Peter's heart hurt. He sees three birds fly overhead and he remembers three denials. He sees three men cleaning their nets down by the sea and he remembers three denials. Peter can't help but see everything in sets of three because Peter still needs redemption. But why did Peter need redemption so desperately? 
For this, we have to read backwards in Peter's story. We've got to go back into John chapter 18. Because as we read Peter's story leading up to Jesus' betrayal and his arrest and ultimately his crucifixion, we find Peter saying, even though everyone else will fall away from you, Jesus, I won't fall away. Not me. Even if I have to die with you, I won't disown you. Famous last words, Peter. John chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this other disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside. The other disciple came back, spoke to the servant girl who was on duty, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? The girl asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And as he was standing there warming himself, they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? Peter denied it, saying, I am not. Then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, wow, the irony, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. The rooster crows, and Peter is broken. And then Jesus is dead. And Peter's words of betrayal hang in midair as if they've been shouted into the void of a cave, echoing unceasingly in the chambers of Peter's mind. This is Peter's low point. It's the same thing we see in the story of the prodigal son. No, Peter doesn't go off to a far country after demanding his inheritance. Peter doesn't find himself in a pig pen, wishing that he could just go back and beg for a job in his father's house. Peter doesn't have the physical aspects of the story that the prodigal son has, but Peter gets to the exact same place psychologically and spiritually. And Peter, in his broken down, dejected, defeated state of giving up and going back to that old life of fishing finds Jesus once more offering him redemption. A robe for his back and sandals for his feet, a ring for his finger and the fattened calf to eat. Even though Peter hangs his head and goes back to fishing, God isn't done with Peter yet. God knows that even though it's still Crucifixion Friday in Peter's mind, Sunday's coming. And God is a God of resurrection, a God of new life, of salvation and restoration and redemption. And we need that redemption because we are chained up by our past. We need that redemption, but we remember all the terrible things that we have done. We need that redemption, but we get stuck in Friday in our minds. Sunday's coming. John 21, verse 18. 
Very truly I tell you, Jesus says to Peter, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. See, Peter needed redemption because he had denied Jesus. We need redemption because we've denied Jesus. But here, Jesus demonstrates that he offers us a surpassing measure of redemption for every time that we deny him. This is grace. Peter doesn't deserve redemption, but Jesus offers it anyway. And it's a greater grace. It's a greater redemption. This is what Peter receives at the end of his story. This is not an equal measure of good to cancel out Peter's bad. This is an overflowing cup of the choicest wine at the table of the king. This is not just a canceled debt. This is an offer of inexhaustible riches from your Father in heaven. And the structure of the narrative even reflects this. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. One time for each of Peter's denials. And Peter is hurt because Jesus asked him that third time. Structurally, this looks like an equal measure of declared love to cancel out betrayal. But Jesus goes beyond these three questions to tell Peter how he will live a life of suffering, following in Jesus' own suffering footsteps. And then he offers Peter once more this opportunity, follow me. It's the exact same call he offered when he first found Peter by the Sea of Galilee. And this final call illustrates the asymmetry of restoration. The asymmetry of restoration. Peter's denials and betrayal haven't simply been canceled out by his affirmation of love for Jesus. Peter gets a whole new start. Peter, come follow me. Peter, I still want to use you. Even though the pieces of your rock are broken, I still want to use you to build my church. Jesus waits patiently. For every wrong thing we've done, Jesus offers forgiveness. For every denial, he offers redemption. For every brokenness, he offers healing. And for every exile, he offers restoration. He offers more than enough. He offers more than we need. He fills us to overflowing. He makes us lie down in green pastures and he restores our souls. Jesus doesn't just balance the scales. He tips them toward joy. He tips them toward liberation, toward love. That is grace. That is a surpassing measure of redemption. Let's pray.